And a happy Thursday to you folks, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It is a fantastic day today. And let me tell you why, because laughter is one of those things that is just so enjoyable in life. It goes with everything. Laughter is not only fun, but it's proven to be good medicine for your physical and mental health. Seriously, it prevents disease and strengthens your spirit. It's a great medicine. It's a great form. It's a great pill to take every day, and it's free. All you got to do is open your mind, open your heart, and you will find out how much laughter is in your world. All right, folks, let's get this thirsty Thursday started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Welcome back to the Williston Basin Petroleum. We are the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Sean Forbes, Jason Spee, Sean Forbes, filling in for Sterling, who's back in Fargo. Well, he's got a wife and two kids, so he doesn't get to travel too much. He also has a regular day job because, you know, he's never worked a day in oil and gas in his life, but he grew up living on an oil base in Saudi Arabia for 10-plus years, so he has more respect than more of a respect for the industry than most people I've ever met in the industry, actually. So he's a great guy to have on here. Sean Forbes comes to us from OG Directory. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Oh, that's good to hear. So, okay. Commercial break was okay for you? Commercial break? Yeah. Yes. You were able to health get... Break, uh, health break. Well, I, went by, I just went by the snack table, and yesterday they had veggies and fruit. And so I thought, well, they're going to have the same thing today. But they didn't. They have this chocolate-covered popcorn and chocolate-covered strawberries and chocolate-covered pretzels and donuts and cookies and I, I can't eat gluten or dairy, so I just tried not to cry as I walked by all these delicious things. Yes, I was like, I want that, but I can't have it, so anyway. Eric Calderon is joining us as well as Aaron Davidson. They are with Power Century, Century with an S. And let's just talk a little bit about the company first, then we'll get into uh, kind of who you guys are, what you do a little bit, just kind of that, you know, 60-second version of uh, commercial of what you guys do. Yeah, well, thanks so much. We're glad to be here. Power Century is a company that started in 2017, so we still think of ourselves as a fairly young company. Uh, We are focused on delivering power management solutions for the oil field, and uh, we do that through two main products. Both products are focused on trying to control power at the well site and our core product, the on-site storage system, actually has an ESG component reducing the amount of power being used at a well system. So uh, we have a a statement which is true in that we can help you reduce the amount of uh, electricity in your field at your wellhead and um, help you achieve your ESG outcomes by lowering the amount of CO2 being used in your operation. Our first product was launched in 2017, and uh, we have installations throughout the Bakken and throughout Texas. Our latest product launched late last year is called um, ERT, which stands for Electric Ride-Through. And what this product does is it allows um, operators, wherever there may be unstable power, to have a power backup on site that will ride through any sort of uh, fluctuation in power or any sort of event that may 
cause uh, power to drop. And so if you have tools running downhole or just um, kind of a large pump on the other end that would be affected by power stability issues, our ERT will allow you to get through that. But your, your equipment is a main source of power or a secondary? The secondary source, it would okay. be uh, connected uh, between the end product and the grid coming in. And so uh, the utility coming in, and so we kind of sit between, but it's a, it's a secondary source of power. Okay. So would you say that the main source of power, it doesn't matter what the main source of power is? Um, if it's electrical or diesel fired? No, or? no, technically it doesn't. Uh, where we've had most of our installs of ERT have been where there is um, you know, electrical power coming from a utility. And uh, our product will really shine whenever there is a, a dip in that power from like a reclosure event or some other uh, power sag that may occur. Weird power surge or weather, weather or exactly their, right. their source fails. And our product is not a power backup for a long period of time. The, okay. Really, the notoriety of what we do is it provides instantaneous power backup, so you have no loss. I like to make the comparison on the ERT where, imagine in your home, if you lose power and you have a generator, eventually your power will come back on, but it may be a minute or two before that generator fires up and everything's going. If you had a, an ERT, if you will, conceptually installed on your house, you would never know you lost power. It's continuous. So it would come right in and kind of sit between uh, the amount of time that it takes your generator to come on. It kind of uh, implants itself and allows you to have a ride through for that period of time. This is, this is important, right? Because this is a mitigating risk and it could be a safety issue, right? Yeah, we, we With, really think about the cost of having, um, let's say, an ESP uh, downhole have a power issue and then lock up and you have to pull that out and uh, do a full workover, it's quite expensive. And so, um, you know, this, this product can prevent those issues from coming up. And we know the reality is in a lot of different parts of the oil and gas industry, the grid infrastructure isn't great, right? Power isn't great. So there can be a lot of times where power isn't stable. And this is why we feel like uh, our product is catering to that specific need that exists. Um, so far, we've seen our product used, as I mentioned, on ESP applications, but also um, in saltwater disposal facilities where they have these large pumps moving water. And if that goes down, it creates a lot of issues upstream. Well, in a backlog, too. Those trucks don't want to be sitting there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, you know, we really think of this as being an important product for the reasons that, that you touched on earlier to provide uh, more stability, to help provide, um, you know, risk mitigation and also, you know, generally just to ensure that operations can operate in a more predictable manner. What is your equipment? Describe it. Yeah, so um, both of our products, we have two main products, use ultracapacitors. That's really the, uh, the internal guts of the system. And these ultracapacitors are basically um, what charges and keeps the electrical power stored in the system. And so uh, physically, these look like um, kind of cabinets that would be installed on a well site. They measure about six feet tall, four feet wide, two feet deep. And so uh, these, you know, kind of fit in just perfectly to all the other equipment you would see on a well site. And um, inside are just electronic components and these ultra capacitors. And so these ultra capacitors are used in different ways for each product. <sighs> Going back to our on-site storage, what that does is that hooks into a rod pump system. So the standard pump jack that everyone kind of envisions when you think about oil and gas. Um, this product connects into your, your drive at your pump jack, and whenever there's a downstroke of the pump jack, the 
energy that would normally be dissipated in that downstroke is actually saved in our ultracapacitors and temporarily stored. And on the next upstroke, that power is released and helps provide um, uh, that energy to be utilized in the upstroke, ultimately reducing power being consumed because you're recycling energy that would normally just be wasted in that downstroke. Right. And so for operators, and it's a theme we've heard throughout the day today, that ESG matters, right? For operators focused on wanting to reduce their carbon footprint and also decrease the cost of operations, our OSS product can do that. We have, uh, as I mentioned, installs in the Bakken, we have installs in, uh, in the Permian, and on average we see once it's installed, power bills go down around 20% once it's installed. And that's a lifetime savings once that product is installed. Right. And so um, we're really excited to be offering that into the market. And I'm an operations engineer, my background. I've, I've worked um, you know, in, in the oil and gas industry as an engineer and had to run a P&L and make these kind of equipment decisions. And I like that we have a product that um, not only meets ESG goals, but will reduce your lease operating expense. And, uh, and so it's, uh, for yeah, me, and you're using the, the inno- side, a, a current that. innovation for a process to generate additional energy, right? Like, exactly so I like right. what you said, it's kind of recyclable or renewable in a sense, right? That's exactly right. And so, um, you know, we have a joke at the office where um, our team is, uh, if you were to look at our parking lot, it kind of describes just perfectly what our company is. Our parking lot is a mix of F-250 pickup trucks and a couple of folks that drive Teslas. And we think that that represents our company. We're an oil-filled company making, you know, uh, power equipment that's innovative in our space. Yeah, well, this it sounds like your equipment could be used in other industries, too. Is is your customer primarily oil and gas, or do you venture out to others? It's, it's a great point that you brought up. Um, we are mostly in the oil and gas industry today. Uh, we think that there's still a lot of really good opportunities there, but the technology itself can be applied outside of the energy industry. Um, probably the easiest example on the OSS would be, think of an elevator, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of the up and down movement is the same as a pump jack. And so that energy when the elevator is going down can be stored and used when it's you know needing to be lifted back up. A similar concept on the ERT, the electric ride through, and really any sort of industrial process where uh, power failure would be problematic, right, to the process. ERT can be um, installed and, and kind of provide that ride through. And we think about, you know, in an industrial setting, it has to be applied in scenarios where power failure is problematic, but not catastrophic. Because in catastrophic scenarios, power backups are already designed in, right? Right, hospitals, um, things like correct, that. Correct, right. but uh, one of the early conversations we had was with a manufacturer that had like a heat treating process. And if power dipped, the product would be ruined because the, the heat would turn off. That's the kind of thing where it's problematic, but not catastrophic. And that's where, you know, ERT could possibly be a fit. So I got a question for you when it comes to, you know, you mentioned ESG a few times. You've given us some pretty good examples of how you're beyond the buzzword of ESG. You guys are actually out there doing it, which is fantastic because then we don't have to hold your feet to the fire for all the buzzwords (laughs) you just said. And you help people check the box. Yes. Right? So... How is it out in the marketplace? Um, are you getting good response? Are you getting good response and no business? Are you getting, no, we don't want anything to do with this? We've gotten all the above, so I'm curious what you've gotten. Yeah, I'll touch on a few points and then uh, you know, have Aaron chime in a bit. So 
<laughs> sure, well, let him get his hand slapped. I get it. Yep, throw him under the bus. Give Aaron the difficult you, you picked questions. Up, picked up on that perfectly. Uh. Hey, Aaron, you see that bus over there? Go under it. <laughs> so I would, I would touch on, you know, our approach to the market was one rooted in being a kind of operator ourselves that we wanted the product to be in the field and proven and to try to, you know, learn what we needed to working with operations folks. And uh, we were successful in that. And now we're going into talking to corporate groups that are in charge of ESG or in charge of power management. And um, that's where we started to have the, the successful conversations that will continue to allow us to grow. Because now we've said, hey, we've proven ourselves in one of your fields. How do we think about getting this across your entire portfolio? And ESG matters across the whole portfolio. And so um, 2020 was an interesting year to have the right conversations, right? We think moved to virtual in a very fast way. And um, you know, we, we see now that we're able to get kind of more of the meetings that, that we're hoping to. But um, I think we are well positioned to continue to grow uh, and have our products be a very tangible example of how you can improve your ESG outcomes. And the great thing is these are not products that require um, a kind of reinvent the world mindset. These are tangible uh, bite-sized products that can be installed in your well site immediately and start to see a benefit. Um, and, And I think that's something ESG groups are looking for. How do we take the small steps to show wins in addition to the longer term projects that will show a change over time? Aaron, what would you add to that? So to emphasize your point, 2020 was obviously a difficult year with uh, the, the, the situation that's presented itself over the last 12 months, but we were still able to engage with our customer base on the various platforms that were released at the start of this pandemic, Zoom, Teams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's no uh, substitute for in-person meetings, which shows like this are excellent for providing, uh, actually refreshing to be meeting people face-to-face now. Uh, but to touch on Eric's point as well with regard to ESG, we're starting to get a better understanding of where our product fits into the ESG narrative. Um, And through research um, and talking with our customers and various other industry peers, uh, we're getting a better idea of how to present uh, our savings uh, from the OSS perspective and maybe some ERT uh, points as well. But OSS is definitely right in line with the ESG narrative. Um, We recently completed uh, a data capture initiative with one of the majors in North Dakota in the back end, uh, and we saved on an annual basis 254 metric tons of CO2 from entering the atmosphere. Now, that was on one six well pad, but you apply that at scale, and the numbers start to become a lot more interesting. That's the equivalent of around 650,000 miles driven, or I think it's charging 30 million cell phones. So it's it's quite impressive. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. What um? Do you have any customers in California? Uh, California is uh, a market that is very attractive to us. It's, it's one that we're actively pursuing. Um, the, the current state, uh, I guess, conditions there are that it's not one that we can uh, readily travel in because uh, per my previous point, it's easier to get those into face-to-face meetings, uh, look somebody in the eye and talk through um, the, the power Century product. So uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Kevin Downey, he is actively pursuing the California market and we have done some... Uh, research on where we could best apply the OSS product and we're starting to pursue those companies. Yeah, because I mean, how do you feel about brownouts and blackouts? So, you know? Yeah, to your point, I mean, all I mean, because this is California, right, with the regulations, and they say 
you're a company that uses a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're one of our targets. So when the grid gets to a certain level, yep. because you're on our list, you're either going to shut down your operations yep. or we're going to charge you an exponential amount of money per kilowatt to continue functioning. Exactly. But I feel like if you guys came in with a backup... So the, the beauty actually could, is the OSS is going to be more applicable there. So the OSS shaves peak demand and saves on kilowatt hours. So if we're able to reduce peak demand and that reduces the stre- uh, stress on the utility company, especially if when you apply that at scale again, uh, shaving that peak demand over several thousand wells isn't going to be quite as much onus on the utility and thus hopefully extending power and eliminating outages. Yeah, you gave an example earlier of a success that you had with a customer in terms of reductions, but t- tell me about a, a couple of other instances maybe where you saved a company from a disaster. So with the ERT, um, to, to, to put a, a, a kind of emphasis on Eric's point, we released that mid last year. So we uh, started with a pilot phase with several companies in North Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, and West Texas. Um, And that was really just a a kind of proof of concept and data gathering exercise for us and our customer. Um, We've seen several dozen events where historically that would have shut the VSD down uh, and, you know, put the the ESP into backwind and then stop production. Um, We literally probably have between 30 and 40 of those events where the well instrumented with the ERT has maintained production, it stayed online, it's kept going, and everything else in the uh, surrounding areas shut down. So there was one instance in West Texas in September last year where there were 12 additional wells surrounding the one, uh, and that accounted for around $60,000 in deferred production. That in addition to the stress put on the, the hardware with having to restart these pumps downhole, etc., in places like North Dakota, where there's a lot of sediment in the well. Uh, I've had reports from uh, one of the main uh, operators up here that trying to restart that pump is trying to rest- like trying to restart with cement built on top of it. So if we're able to eliminate those you know, uh, shutdowns, we can uh, reduce the stress on the equipment as well. So yeah, there, there's been lots of events, but th- that one in West Texas was most notable because it was there was a lot of emphasis put on the surrounding area. Yeah, as a, as a procurement person, I like to say that I quickly pay for myself, and it sounds like there are moments where you guys pay for yourself and put money back in your customers' pockets. And and one of the, uh, something that we've adopted uh, of late is that we build up the economics for the ERT and the OSS when we're first approaching our customers um, so that we present the value proposition and that we present the savings that we're going to deliver. yeah, we, 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 in some cases, are going to pay for ourselves in six months. In some cases, it's going to extend a little bit beyond that. But we're looking to fall below 24 months and in line with our customers' expectations. Yeah. Is your equipment something that you see as a long-term placement? For sure, yeah. So the life of our ultra-capacitors is around 20 years. Uh, so it's going to probably outlive me. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that old. Jeepers. <laughs> but I, I will say that's quite an accent you have there. Are you from Dallas? Uh, I'm from <laughs> East, East Texas. Canada. <laughs> Sounds Canadian. You get, uh, I'll, I'll give you one guess. Alberta. Okay, yeah, good one there. <laughs> it's better than Australian and South African that I had yesterday. But uh, I'm oh, from wow. Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, I, which I, is the best part of the United Kingdom for 
the listeners that don't understand. <laughs> I guessed uh, Australia yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I was wrong. Oh, I was no. wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. And I heard I heard the Sheamus in him right away. The professional wrestler, fella. I heard it at him. Do you guys say is that a word, fella? Yeah. That, is that it's an, more? It's more English. It's more English, yeah. not Scottish. No. Okay. All right. I wondered how much of his. WWE persona was actually so there, there's actually do, do you know Sheamus? Do you I know do I, not personally, but not you know what I'm talking about yeah, yeah. the redhead um, WWE yeah, yeah. Very, former very champion. Pale. Yeah, similar to very pale. Scotsman. Never seen the sun in his life. <laughs> um, but there's there is actually a, a Scottish wrestler in in the WWE that's you know he went over from Glasgow years ago and he's wrestled now for well over, I can't remember his name Finn Balor. Another one. I can't remember his name. Oh, it's not Finn. It's, it's not Finn. One. Okay, no. Finn's been wrestling since he was like four. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we, we, we've. Ken Shamrock. Oh wait, that's Irish. <laughs> Welcome to the professional wrestling portion of the Crude Life Do you Morning Show. Out? Play hard, work hard. Eric Calderon, are you related to Yvonne Calderon? We might as well just get all the craziness out there. I mean, you're not even from the same country, so okay. <laughs> I think he was a Montreal Expo. Because yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, good stuff. People are like, who's Yvonne Calderon? All right, he's a baseball player from the 80s, folks. All right, who are the Montreal Expos? What is a Montreal Expo? I, I am dating myself way too much here, folks. Okay, Scotland over to the U.S. How did that happen? Uh, I moved over in 2014 with okay. a company called Expo. Um, they're an oilfield services company. Um, my wife and I moved over just shortly after we were married. We got our green cards, and hopefully this year we'll become American citizens. Interesting green card now. That's an interesting word I'm finding out now. I can't wait to see the origin of where that comes from. Uh, anyway, so ESG over in Europe has been going on for a while. It has, yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the differences and the similarities that you see between American ESG, the way it's happening, and either the way... European ESG started or how it's been rolling, I guess. Yeah. Just talk about that a no, little. That's, that's a good question. It, and in all honesty, it, it's kind of ingrained in everybody and their operation and the way they conducted themselves in Europe. And it, it's been like that for a long time, especially when you get into the grassroots of a company. It's kind of continually uh, emphasized the, the ESG impact that you're going to have from an individual perspective and from a company perspective. I see more emphasis um, on ESG stateside um, with, you know, keeping up with my peers and my friends, etc. back home. They're not having quite as much of an emphasis on ESG as the U.S. are. Yeah, I think companies have always strived towards environmental compliance and things like that. But now ESG is a new term yeah. terminology. And the, th the thing right? is as well, I mean, especially the, the oil and gas industry in Scotland, which is our, 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 our main industry, it's out of sight, out of mind, because everything's offshore. So there's very little drilling activity on land in the UK. So, yeah. And when you do drill on land in the UK, it's very, very well hidden. So they will actively write into contracts that you need to, you know, plant Camouflage trees. Yes. You need to paint the... Disneyland, yeah, the Disneyland effect. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you're not allowed to flare, you know, all those kind of things. So, and then you come West Texas or North Dakota and you can see a, a pump jack every couple of miles. That's very much in the, the public eye. You're describing what I've been predicting. Mm -hmm. America is going to go the way of NIMBY, not in my backyard. <laughs> you know, so very, very, you know, people will be able to continue on with operations because let's be honest: if 95 percent 
94 to 96, so 95% of our daily life involves fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. From the toothbrush to the toothpaste to how it got in my bathroom, right? To go down to 80%, which would be a 15% reduction in my lifetime, it ain't going to happen. Drastic innovation and changes will have to be made for that to happen. I'm just thinking of PVC pipe. I'm just thinking of, you know, vaccine needles, the whole deal, okay? So... What I'm wondering is how much of this is going to be like in Los Angeles, where they build a building yep. around the pump jack, yeah. so that it's a school. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so Europe's been doing that for a long time, yeah. and that's exactly my prediction of what's going to happen in in um, in America, in Colorado. I believe is the blueprint mm-hmm. of how they're going to roll it out to the tune to where that governor. Jared Polis wrote a book called The Colorado Blueprint. I haven't read it yet, but I assume it's probably... Wait a minute. I know what it is. I haven't read it. I saw the title. I'm, I'm qualified to talk on it. I better hand the mic back over to Eric. Eric's turn to get thrown under the bus now. So, Please think of a really difficult question to ask Eric. All right, Eric. Hey, actually, Eric... Um, in all honesty, uh, this whole climate movement, whether it's the climate activism or the climate tax or the just climate change, are you guys, do you guys go anywhere with that? Do you avoid it? For example, the crude life. We came out with our first policy ever against climate tax. We believe it's a regressive tax that goes on uh, uh, poor and middle class, and eventually it'll make its way up to the rich and the upper middle class, but they're not going to feel it for a long time. So we came out with a statement right away on that. Um, The other thing that we have talked about is how the innovation side of things and the ESG. And so we've made a few statements on things. We've tiptoed around some things, too. Have you guys discussed, the, oh, the, the other one, climate change. I've been following this since 2004, 2001. I believe in earth changes, not climate change, okay? The climate changes every day. Earth changes are drastic. Go back to Pangea, when all the continents were together. We didn't frack back then, but now we're far apart. So... That's a difficult conversation to have with anybody outside of oil and gas, so it's very difficult. It's very, I don't do it, right? Do, do you guys, what do you say when people start getting into that polarizing, um, nobody's going to win conversation? That's, I don't know how else to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things I've always emphasized is that you know, we live in this world together, right? So when folks think about, you know, the oil and gas industry is hurting the environment. Well, it's our environment, right? The people who live and work in Midland drink the water of Midland. They breathe the air of Midland. And so all of us are in the same, you know, kind of interest wanting to make sure that we are doing our part for, for our, you know, future. That said, our company's gonna play to its strength. Our company's strength is to be innovative and to come up with products that are solving problems that need to be solved. And in our case, that problem that we're solving is reducing power consumption. That is gonna save operators money, which is important, but it's also gonna save the amount of CO2 going into our environment, which is important. And so um, I think every company has to look at the, the lever they have to make a difference in this discussion. And for us, it's through innovative products um, that we can uh, build reliably and build at, at a high quality uh, spec to ensure they do exactly what they're designed for. Well, how can we get some business for you guys? 
Yeah, great. Let's let's talk about how people can get in touch with you, how people can contact you, and how they can start the conversation. Well, thank you for prompting that. So, um, Power Century is our company. Uh, we can go to our website, uh, Power Century. That's Where did the Power name Power Century come from? I'll elaborate. Uh, PowerCentury.com. So, Century in this case spelled with an F, uh, designed uh, kind of after the insurance term to mean certainty, um, assurance, right? So. Think about Sentry as uh, being bolted onto the word power to mean power, certainty, power assurance. That's what we mean. And um, that's what we do. We provide folks with uh, more stable power and better power management. Uh, We are located in Houston, Texas, and so we know that that's an important um, market, and we welcome the chance to uh, either connect by website or by LinkedIn, and um, just look for us online. Well, feel free to lean on the crude life if you ever need anything. We'll, we're here to serve and help the masses. So, you know, everyday energy for everyday people. Thank you for what you do to connect our industry. Mm, thanks, guys. Thank you. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Orange Property Management. The origins of Orange Property Management date back to the year 2000 when Fargo native Mike Marcel, an entrepreneur who was living in California, was starting to acquire residential properties in the Bay Area as a little side venture. Fast forward to today, Orange Property Management has grown to 36 full-time employees across 13 communities with a portfolio of over 1,300 residential and commercial units ranging from single-family homes to multi-family apartment Developments. For more information, visit their website, orangeproperties.com. That's orangeproperties.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an 
industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Right now we get the opportunity to speak with two lovely ladies uh, that were here to talk on behalf of KLJ, which seems like a pretty unique and interesting company. We've got Corey Arith and Daphne Sen. And uh, Daphne, you're the project manager Am I, for, for what's good. What, well pad designs, is that, is that what you guys do? Is Yes, so um, I specialize in, well, I started out with road design. So I do uh, access road design to the well pads and then um, for a couple of companies, we actually do the well pad, the civil well pad design. So basically the earthwork and the um, stormwater ditches and stripping of the topsoil and things like that. Well, so I'm a civil engineer. Okay. All right. See, in, and then you, you focus more on the environmental impacts themselves, right? And the soil itself. Is that? Yeah. So essentially, I kind of started the beginning before Daphne completes her designs. We just make sure that all permits are obtained as far as environmental permits like there's wetlands dakota skipper habitat cultural resources are avoided and then she works around those um yeah Yeah, because we we don't want to place the pad or the road on any of those things so and then and then we also don't want any stormwater um eroding and then causing sediment to leave the site and impacting any of those things either right Okay. And then I will kind of help with that process. So she'll make her preliminary design. We just make sure that nothing was missed. And then I'll come back after they're all done too. And sometimes we'll work on SWIP inspections or your stormwater pollution prevention plan inspections. And um, again, just ensure that the site is protected until it gets 70% vegetation established. Yeah, so they monitor the BMPs. BMPs are like the uh, straw waddles and erosion control blanket. And they make sure her her inspectors go out and make sure they're not filling with sediment. And if they are, she lets the uh, owner know so that they can get it cleaned up. Or if they're failing and need to be replaced or yeah. any of that type of situation. I can also help, too, with sometimes trickier soils on... Um, providing a seed mixture that works the best for that type of soil too so yeah. so it's like a full collaborative process to help companies be able to effectively set up their well pads in a way that's not going to get them into trouble is not going to cause any harm to the, the vegetation and soil around it yeah that's, that's kind of what it seems like mm-hmm. to me i'm in my head it's the weirdest thing but i'm like reading through your bios and in my head i'm envisioning you as like an exterior designer I I like to think of it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's—I mean, you guys have got to be well sought after right now, especially with such heavy focus on ESG across North Dakota, across the nation, really. But we stay busy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome, and it's—it's good work, and it's—it's good that we work together, and that again helps make it completely dynamic and. Yeah. I think it's missed. <laughs> yeah. because And the thing is that the, uh, operators are not required to have a civil engineer design, especially if it's on private land, which most well sites probably are. And so they can just do like a traditional well plat package, which is they still have to have the surveyor involved. But for the actual civil part, 
there's it's just a drafter that balances the earthwork and shows you a square on a piece of paper, basically. But what we're saying is if you spend a little bit more money up front for that design, then you save money in the long run because you're avoiding all those things that we're talking about, like, you know, fines and stuff from agencies because you have impacted a wetland accidentally or you have muddy messes on your pad because you didn't plan ahead and, and plan for the stormwater that's going to be coming onto the pad. So that's what we're trying to convince these operators, that if they just spend a little bit more money up front, then maybe they'll save money in the long run. Well, it kind of seems like it'd be a really viable option for most of these companies, just, again, because of the focus that's being put on the environment yep. and how it's being taken care of or, or not, depending yep. on the situation. So you guys were probably ahead of the curve then when, because this focus, it feels, it feels to me, and I could be wrong, it feels like this focus kind of came in maybe five, six years ago is when it really started getting pushed pretty heavy. Um, you were already de- working by then, weren't you? I mean, KLJ has been. Oh yeah. Well, KLJ has been, we do, we do a lot more. KLJ does, you know, transportation, municipal work, uh, aviation. Yeah. yeah. So we do all of that. Uh, we are in more of the oil field side of things with KLJ, but yeah, KLJ as a whole does all kinds of other practices. Well, and the both of you have, have experience going back quite, quite some time, it seems. Yeah. I, KLJ was my first job out of college. <laughs> really? That's, yeah. that's actually really cool. <laughs> yeah. They, they must they must treat their employees pretty well if you're wanting yeah. to stay for... They are. Yeah. They are a good company. Yes. I worked for the Natural Resources Conservation Service for eight years before coming to KLJ, and I've been at KLJ for six years now, so... That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the best part? What's the most fascinating part about designing these locations? I mean, it, what's the best part of it? Every project is different. Every project has a different yeah. challenge. Yeah. The, cha- the different challenges. Um, I also enjoy working with my clients or, you know, you, you form this relationship with your clients and, then, and they, they trust you and, I don't know, it's just kind of uh, rewarding. Yeah. For me, it's it's a little bit of balance, right? So it's it's nice because you don't have to choose one or the other, right? You can actually help them problem solve to have the least amount of impact on any of the environmental stuff, right? That's what's nice in working with Daphne and she. I give her the problems and she thinks around them. <laughs> yeah. That's a good team. It That's is. That means. It, it is. is a very good team. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see yourself using your environmental knowledge background to go into the oil and energy industry? Sure. I mean, yeah. I, I again, I balance, right? There's balance. And you can't shut everything down. You can't not improve a road, right? That's going to improve safety. There's other things that... I feel like I still provide a lot of conservation and protect a lot more because of the position that I'm in. I'm helping our clients do better. So, so would you? Would you? Okay. How do you guys feel about the ESG standards across the state of North Dakota? I guess. I'm not sure. I. Me neither. <laughs> Well, I wonder if it even had an opportunity to really impact you if you were already, I mean, again, looking towards those environmental solutions, I wonder, it might not have impacted you ter- too terrible much then. I mean, did you did you feel any kind of an impact from the from the scrutiny that no, was not being really. added? Or, mm-hmm. No? Mm-hmm. No. 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 Not really, no. Because, again, yeah, our, a lot of our clients were already, already in that position. Yeah. Yeah. 
nice. and moving into that. Yeah, and again, our our clients are top notch. I mean, mm-hmm. they'd go above and beyond. It's it's not just what they have to do. They do a really good job of actually mm-hmm. again taking care of the land, being a good neighbor. Yeah, they're from here too, so. This is their home. Does it ever frustrate you when you see media talking about how toxic and bad for the environment that that the oil industry, oil and gas industry is? I mean, do you ever look at that and go, oh, my goodness, if they only knew what work we're doing? Mm -hmm. Yep. I feel like they're an easy target, but nobody actually sees the upfront work and time that they put into it. One project is a year minimum, isn't it? Yeah. You, there's so much. From start to finish, yeah, at least a year. And again, everything that they put at the beginning, I, they're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, that year, is that, is that with all the permits and everything, or does that elongate the process because of all the different obstacles to gain permits for all those different things? Well, it depends on the location. Some are obviously going to be, depend, you know, like if it's on federal land, that's going to be a lot longer process. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say for that, it's probably at least a year just for like if it's on private land. Yep. But yes, I mean, that includes everything from the well. There's a lot of stuff that happens up front that we don't even that we're not even involved in. Right. That they handle. So. Yeah, lots I guess of it moving pieces. Yeah. <laughs> lots of moving pieces. There are a lot of hours that get put into a project mm-hmm. before it is actually constructed. Yeah. Nice. So then, how many projects do you guys work on at one time? If each project takes over a year. Have one time, boy. <laughs> depends, depends on the time of the year. Yeah, or yeah. what year? Like last yeah. year, this time we probably weren't doing much of anything, right? But um, I don't know. In the middle of the summer, because yeah, when you so you'll start a project and then you'll get a new one like a few weeks later. So they have they're at different spots, different stages. In, yeah, in each project. I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know either. I, there's, it's just a revolving door. Yeah, it just keeps coming. And so. then if you just have projects coming in, you just bring in more people to help you out. <laughs> yep. Yep. Nice. <laughs> so then here's the question: When you're looking at all these different projects, you said every project is different. Was there one project that stuck out in your mind uh, for the obstacles or for the things that you were finding as you're trying to design this? Was was there one that sticks out in your mind, or like this one? This thing was crazy. <laughs> There's always that one. It seems like you have one a year that right. you're yeah. like, this one is yeah. going to fight us until the end. Yeah. There's like several of those ones. Yeah. But, but again, they're just a different challenge. And yeah, it, you look at other options yeah. and cross that bridge and <laughs> get through it. Yep. So then what is the most prominent difficulty that your clients, that you found that your, your clients do have during this Hmm. Solutions for all kinds of different problems. You know, That's just it. And it's, it's, it seems like they're fairly equal. I mean, environmental constraints are a lot, right? There's a lot with that, but then topography, yeah. soils. I mean, it really, truly depends. Every single one is just a different combination of different things that you have to plan around. But Yeah, yeah I was thinking the environmental constraints and then also uh, erosion, like stormwater issues right because that's a big thing that's the whole reason we were kind of doing that presentation is because we see that that, that they deal with actually they didn't really this year because we didn't have any storm or rain, rain. yet <laughs> everything was dry i was like this is not a good year to have this presentation yeah. <laughs> nobody sees ponds on their pads but yeah i think that that's a big one erosion and 
So, so previously that was that was a pretty big issue. Then was the erosion, the runoff from the rainwater. What does that do? What does that do to the well pad? I mean, what 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 difficulties does that create? It just creates a muddy mess because the water is trapped on the pad, or it's not draining off the pad, and it's the equipment and the vehicles are driving through it and making this rutted up mess and just causes issues and then before you know it it's leaving the pad and going onto the farmer's land next door and he's mad or it's having gullies on the side slopes or it's that and then when you have that again you need to go back out and start from square one right regrade it reseed it restabilize it start over to try to get vegetation to grow so yeah that's the keys yeah it's the worst whenever it's a newer pad so then yes you don't even have your vegetation established and then it's just creating headaches yeah for them wait so hold up so when you're designing these pads you you're you're going all the way back in and after they're put together you're replanting vegetation around them yeah oh my goodness so you're like yeah like master gardeners in the oil field that's crazy that's awesome yeah because you don't want any exposed soils because that's where you're going to have your problems so yep Once you get roots in the ground, that's going to hold the soil together. It allows water to move into the soil profile versus running on the top and cutting. um, Yeah, cutting your slopes and causing sediment to leave the site. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And then in my what popped up into my mind is that if you have all that vegetation around there, then it's kind of like one more way of being able to tell if the pad is functioning properly because the vegetation is going to give an indication if there's some problems. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, and on your side slopes for sure. That's mm going to yeah. Stuff. That's really, really cool. I had, that never occurred to me that you'd be actually planting stuff around there, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't do the planting. No, nope. we do. <laughs> and it's not like fancy trees and plants. No. no. <laughs> but it, but is. it does sound fun when you think of it that way. Yeah. There, there is thought behind it, though. Like yes. In yeah. our presentation, we had talked, like, certain plants love certain soils, so match them up, right? Because if you don't, that just it's probably not going to grow. So again, you want something that's going to love the soil that it's in. It'll establish faster. And again, the faster it gets established, the less problems you have. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, does does do putting these, the, the well pads on the land, does that do anything to the soil? Does that like change the pH balance? Like what is that, what does that mess with? Have you found it to be detrimental in any way to the environment putting those on there? No, because it's all native soil. So very seldom do you bring anything in that's not from that location. Right. So they will strip the topsoil. They'll keep that topsoil in a pile so when they actually reclaim it, it's the actual topsoil that they took from that site. And when they regrade it out to go back to the original contours, it's still the soil that used to be there. Yeah. So there's like, there's like way more planning that goes into this than most people realize. I mean, all the way down to after the well is completed and needs to be reclaimed, they've got a pile of soil. They're waiting to reclaim the area. That's mm-hmm. that I don't, I don't think I've ever heard anything about that aspect mm-hmm. of, of the process. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, my goodness. <laughs> I don't even know. That's, there's just a lot of cool stuff there. Is there is there anything that you would like to focus on? Is there is there something that you think you know people should probably be hearing about that you know if they weren't able to come to the conference and hear your your talk, what do you think should be spread? I think basically what we all, what we discussed, you know, that um, the if you do a little bit more planning up front and. Um, design then you can probably avoid some of those things mm-hmm. that upfront the, thoughtful planning equals minimizing and mitigating risk yeah. <laughs> that was a line from our presentation very nice <laughs> very nice
<laughs> yes. Uh, I. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you feel a little dizzy, you're talking kind of silly like you have plans to save the world. Just remember your task will only last if you don't take off your mask. When the outside's chilly and the inside is warm, you've been wishing you never been born. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, the most trusted voice in energy. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It's an important part of what goes on in the state and safety is is really important, obviously, to all of us. Absolutely. You know, the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused. I mean, uh, the President Biden's administration that this is Obama Biden 2.0 plus. And the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. Welcome back to the Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. I am Sean Forbes with TeamForbes.com and OGDirectory.com. Jason Spies is my co-host today. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas, and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my, my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is ladies, put your clothes on, okay? If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. It's a funny thing when I think sometimes it's just really ironic. I'll, I used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company and <laughs> pull in an electric car? So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at 
our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so... Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. So I'm sitting here right now with Senator Dale Patton, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the content that he covered yesterday on a wonderful presentation by a panel of very knowledgeable people within the North Dakota House and Senate. So, uh, Senator Patton, would you like to give a brief introduction of yourself and and your field of of work? Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm the senator for District 39, actually, uh, District 39 is located in the western edge of the state. We're the largest district in the state. We run from Watford City down to the South Dakota line. Uh, actually, our district is about the same size or larger than about seven states. So it's, it's a big district, covers about six and a half counties. Uh, I'm serving in my first term. I just got done with my second session. North Dakota's legislature meets every other year for a maximum of 80 days. Uh, as far as the background, I grew up at Plaza, North Dakota on a farm and ranch. Uh, lived in Watford City since 1980, and for most of my career I was a banker uh, in Watford City. And uh, served 12 years as a county commissioner from 19, or 2000 to 2012. And uh, when I retired from the bank, then there was an opportunity to serve in the legislature, and I went for it, and it's been working out. Yeah. Well, that's and that's wonderful. You well, and I suppose your your background and expertise in both the ag- agriculture and the financial areas probably helped quite a bit with all of the different things going on. I know that there were several different pieces of legislation spoken about yesterday, and you specifically uh, were able to focus on one of them. That was uh, number twenty eight. When, no, twenty three twenty eight. Number twenty three twenty eight. The flaring mitigation uh, program that you've got going. Would you like to elaborate a bit for our listeners on that? Sure. Uh, Senate Bill twenty three twenty eight. A fairly simple bill. Um, a lot of them weren't, but this one actually was. Basically, what it does is it provides a a tax credit of six thousand dollars a month, with a maximum of twelve months or seventy two thousand dollars for those uh, businesses that are able to go to a well location that does not have uh, gas takeaway capacity by pipeline. And in that case, the, the gas typically is flared. And when they go on the location, they bring whatever technology or opportunity they have and they capture the gas and make use of it. Uh, they provide value then, uh, both for the, uh, the royalty owner and uh, they reduce the flaring because of the, the process that they're using. A couple of examples that uh, we were aware of, or were made aware of, was uh, where they bring in uh, shipping containers that have server farms in them, along with uh, electrical generation. They pull the gas off. Uh, there are certain generators that are able to handle raw gas. They pull that gas off the, the well, run it through the generator, create the electricity, and then run the server farm. And instead of shipping, you know, having to build a pipeline to capture that gas, they use it on site, and then they ship the data through the cloud to wherever the, uh, the end user is. Uh, you can do it remotely. Uh, the cost of setting it up, it takes anywhere from three to seven days to set up the location to do it. And uh, when the pipeline does come, then they can move everything to another location. So it's a really innovative way of, of operating. And I, I call this a precursor of... A leading edge opportunity for what we're doing. Another case where they're doing it is a same concept of using uh, electrical 
generation, uh, running the raw gas through a generator, but then using that power to run the, the, the drilling rig or the, the well, um, depending on what they're doing there. But essentially, they, they use the energy on site. And uh, in that case, they don't have to uh, flare the gas. And uh, they provide value, again, to the royalty owner. They provide energy for the use of the well at a, a lower cost than if they had to bring it in, whether it was through power lines or, or other uh, energy sources. So really an opportunity what I would call it uh, kind of cutting edge. And I think when we look at that type of thing, uh, there's a lot of other opportunities as it relates to being able to use our energy in North Dakota and develop new industries. Uh, the server farms are an example of that. There's no upper limit, I think, right now for the demand for data processing. And uh, our ability to do that here in North Dakota and use energy that is inexpensive uh, in an environment that uh, Server farms generate a lot of heat. And we have a, a climate here that uh, allows us to use that heat in a, in a different way, uh, as opposed to some of the warmer climates. You know, you, uh, So th those kinds of things are really, I think, a, a big uh, opportunity in our future. Uh, capturing the gas, using the gas locally, bringing industries locally uh, that provide employment, that provide uh, value. And uh, we can do a lot of things like shipping electricity down uh, electrons as they say or shipping data and we don't have to build additional infrastructure so that that actually sounds like a really good deal like an entire sustainable cycle is kind of what that that sounds like it it helps not only environmentally but in the procedural area in the areas of financial when you're talking about implementing this new technology how much how much attention has this been getting since this uh legislation was introduced has it been getting any attention from from media sources on on what's positively happening within our technological advancements in the energy industry uh, this particular bill probably hasn't risen to the, the the height that it potentially could as far as attention uh, the other bill that uh, did create a lot of attention was uh, house bill 1452 which is set up our clean sustainable energy authority and that bill provided uh, funding for what we would call the, uh, the, the ability to take new research that uh, has come out and then determine whether it's something we could commercialize. Uh, the initial funding was $25 million per, and okay. there'll be another uh, additional funding for probably $30 million a year or a biennium. And that's the one that uh, will give us that opportunity to develop more projects like this flare mitigation bill does. Uh, it'll create that environment where we can car capture carbon. We can focus on becoming a, as carbon neutral in our energy production as is possible. Uh, doing things like this makes our energy marketable and saleable in, in the, uh, the national and international markets. Um, and it also makes, I think, an industry that we could develop locally in North Dakota uh, much more feasible. So I think the technology as we look forward in all of these aspects uh, is uh, really going to be amazing and as we develop it uh, it's going to provide a lot of economic opportunity for the state both from the standpoint of, of revenue to the state and from its tax generation uh, revenue to the local political subdivisions and, and, and for the same reasons tax uh, taxable for value uh, for economic opportunity for employment and for additional uh, income for both the, the companies that are operating it as well as the royalty owners that own the interest so there's there's quite a bit of 
really positives. Uh, it's just uh, getting through and, and figuring out where we can take advantage of the opportunities. Yeah, I feel a lot of times the discernment on, on mode of action tends to be kind of where it ends up taking up a lot of time in order to proceed is, is what it seems like to me is, you know, the, the direction of how and where it's going to be going. And th these types of implementations would take quite a bit of time. It's interesting to me that there isn't more media um, coverage, I suppose, on these things. And it actually kind of makes me curious because the stuff that is in the media, especially um, within the last couple of months, they've been talking about a tax, a carbon tax. Do you think that the current administration and their ideas on the taxation of carbon, do you think that that's going to affect any of these technologies and advancements that you've got going on in North Dakota to work on lowering the carbon footprint? Do you think it's going to affect the science and, and technology behind it and the development at all? Yeah, I'm aware of the interest in the carbon tax. Uh, I have a lot of skepticism about it. Um, a carbon tax is just, it increases costs for everybody when it comes to the production of our energy. And the other question, I guess, is what would the use of the tax dollars be? Where would they go? Uh, I think they would be funneled off and and uh, used to support uh, more than likely the green energy movement. Uh, and I have a little issue with, you know, you tax one industry to provide uh, a tax incentive to a competing industry doesn't pass the fairness test in my mind. But regardless of that, if there is a carbon tax implemented, um, which I think is gonna be a challenge, then that will even provide more incentive for the capture of that carbon and the sequestering of it. And North Dakota, between our coal and our uh, oil and gas and our biofuels options, we have that ability, I think, to make use of it in a manner that um, it, it hopefully provides value and, and removes a cost center, uh, you know, when, with enhanced oil production as a recovery as an example. But those are the things I think they're going to make the difference. So the carbon tax, uh, well, I don't think it's fair and I don't think it's right ultimately would probably force even more action as it relates to capturing the carbon and sequestering it or using it in a, in a manner that provides value. Well, so then maybe that'll end up putting the spotlight where, where it you know, needs to be on the different advances being made here in North Dakota. Is there, is there anything else that you think it would be important to educate the public on, especially as these different changes are being made, as like the regulations and, and the the, optic, the optics of the energy industry are moving more towards trying to be environmentally friendly. Is there anything do you, that you think would be beneficial to let everybody else know about? The, you have to, you know, I, I guess the way I always look at it, if the world wants to buy steak, meaning carbon neutral energy, then our industry should try to sell them steak uh, instead of chicken or pork. Uh, so if they're out there and that's where the demand is, then we need to figure out a way to meet that demand in that respect. It's common sense and, and marketing is how do you sell them what they're wanting. Uh, now, when you do this, it, the challenge is uh, all of these things that you're doing also cost money. And so that provides, uh, it's more expensive energy. Now, if, if there's opportunities where you can convert that cost into a value, then you have win-wins. And that's gonna be one of the challenges, but I think there are some of those opportunities out there. Um, you know, when we look forward to different opportunities, uh, one of the bills uh, 
we didn't talk about yesterday, but it was 2065, which is a, a gas storage bill. Um, instead of flaring gas, again, uh, can we uh, create a salt cavern where we can store it and we can use that for things such as electrical generation plants uh, and uh, potentially down the road, maybe a petrochemical plant where you, uh, those types of things are opportunities as we look forward. Um, all those things I think are future opportunities and our ability to get there and take advantage of them is going to be dependent upon uh, smart use of our resources, uh, doing the right things when it comes to research yeah, and then being able to commercialize the results of that research. So, but yeah, I, I think our industry has changed tremendously in the last 10 years and I think it's going to change even more in the next 10. Yeah, I would imagine you're probably right about that. One last question, just for fun. What has been your favorite part of serving as a senator in the North Dakota State Senate? Um, I guess I enjoy solving the challenges that come up. Um, I'm, you know, the, the meat and potatoes type bills. Uh, for example, the gas uh, flare mitigation bill was an example. Uh, the Clean Sustainable Energy Authority bill is an example. Those are things where you have an idea and a concept and you work hard on figuring out how do you make that into a bill that will become law and will provide uh, the opportunity for something to happen that's, that's uh, significant. And uh, we've said about this Clean Sustainable Energy Authority, that 1452 bill, that that could be generational and it's uh, the shift that we see when it comes to our coal and, and oil and gas and biofuels industries in our state. And being able to participate in something like that, that could make that kind of a difference, I think is, it makes a lot of it worthwhile. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. And I very much enjoyed that panel yesterday. There was a lot of good content, so thank you. But thank you. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. heard on the crude life morning show play hard work hard is by the moody river band interested in becoming a sponsor email studio at the the crude life play hard work hard is sponsored in part by great american mining monetizes wasted stranded and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for bitcoin mining Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to 
GAM.AI. That's Great American Mining, GAM.AI. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Lynn Helms, the director for the North Dakota Mineral Resources. And today's interview is conducted by Crude Life content correspondent Jenica Hauser. There are several research projects on the use of CO2. And you're the, I don't know if you were here yesterday to hear the governor's challenge, but um, his challenge is to utilize CO2 from our coal fired power plants and also CO2 coming into the state for enhanced oil recovery, which will allow us essentially as a state to become carbon neutral, which which is an awesome challenge and an awesome goal. And so that's one of the methods that's being studied. There's been some experiments and tests and research done with that, no successes yet. Another form is to actually re-inject the gas that comes out with the oil. And that's been done successfully in South Texas. And so there's been one or two tests of that in North Dakota, some near misses, but no successes yet. And then we have some professors and grad students at University of North Dakota that are working on a nanotechnology to deliver something in into the reservoir uh, whether it's co2 or a surfactant or something to recover more oil to listen to the full-length interview with lynn helms director for the north dakota mineral resources or to check out other exclusive interviews visit the that's the the crude life promotes a culture of inclusion and respect through interviews content creation live events partnerships that educate, enrich, and empower people to create a positive social environment for all, regardless of age, race, religion, sexual orientation, physical, or intellectual ability. Everyday energy for everyday people. For more, visit thecrudelife.com. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out the industrial forest. Forest.com. That's the industrialforest.com. We're going to do a good old fashioned Bakken barbecue. Halliburton has been cooking for two days. Uh, they've cooked 2,500 pounds of pork, 800 pounds of sausage, uh, 500 pounds of chicken. So. Uh, 
everyone's favorite are the fish tacos, but they've got burgers, steaks, salads, I mean, pretty much everything. And the first experience was, oh, where are all the rigs? Because you have so much country here. In a car, they're in a tent, they're in some other building that's not meant for human habitation. We've actually found people living in haystacks, in uh, grain bins. We found one guy that basically gets shelter in a culvert each night. This was one of those stories where one reporter can't cover. There's too much happening at one time in too many places. If you hear it and it ain't stuck in your head all day, it's got a pop back beat and it's sung the wrong way. If you're not making money in the Bakken, you just truly are not thinking hard enough. Brother, it ain't country, no. Looking for a helping hand? Look at the end of your doggone arm. North Dakotans aren't looking over their shoulder for the government to help them. Some furco wearing wannabes producing your stuff. And brother, you ain't country, no. If you can't move to it, groove to it, up and slam some boots to it, party to it all night long. If it ain't about whiskey sipping, guitar picking, tractors, trailers, trucks, or prison, man, it ain't a country song. As long as I'm working, my mom and dad are happy. Okay. <laughs> Shower. Well, that was always a key, especially going to Thunder Bay. And he doesn't like life, I guess. <laughs> Insanity, right? North Dakota, the Bakken Plague. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com.